Hey guys, good morning and welcome home. My name is Wade Owens. I'm the pastor here and we're so glad you're here. If you're a guest, we want you to know we think church is family. It's not like family, but it is our family. And so welcome home. And if you're a guest, we would love to get to know you. There's a connection card and the seat back in front of you. At some point, grab it, fill it out. We're not going to come by your house unannounced. We're not just going to show up. We just want to help you go from being here to belonging here. Most of us here, if not all of our staff, has moved here from another state, moved here from another area. So we know what it's like to move somewhere new and build new relationships and friends and get connected and get on mission. We want to help you do that. So grab a card, fill it out. You can drop it in the orange bucket at the end of the service. That's also where you can drop your tithes and offerings if you brought them here. You can give online, you can text to give, but that's also a place you can partner with us financially. And let me tell you, we just had our VBS week and it is an incredible opportunity every week for us to see God move. And what we've seen over the last year is God is just doing incredible things through you, through the church, in our town for the sake of the gospel. And we are so excited about what God is doing. And over the next couple of weeks, we're inviting all of you in one way or another to help us make room for more. God keeps sending new families and new students and new people who say, I want to learn about Jesus. I want to know what it means to be transformed by Jesus. And we're asking everyone to, hey, go on mission with us to make sure that everyone that breathes air in Nolensville gets to hear the gospel because of us. And so there's a couple of ways you can help us make room for more. As we get ready for August 7th, that's when everybody's back to school. That's when churches and everyone swells. There's a couple of things you can do. Number one, we're asking 50 to 60 people from this service to move to 8 a.m. for about six weeks. Just come for six weeks to make sure that everyone that pulls on our campus has a seat, has a place to park. So about 50 of you that are already up, those of you that have smaller kids, the number one growing demographic at our 8 a.m. service is people with young kids. They're already up. Come on here. The music's the same. The preaching's the same. In fact, the sermon's a little bit shorter. So that's some incentive. You could come at eight. That's one way you can serve. Because look, if you've come here, someone's opened a door, someone helped you find a seat, someone helped your kids get checked into ministry, someone looked you in the eyes and said, welcome home, and you left blessed, don't you want other people to have that same experience? And I don't know about you, but I'm excited to be a part of a church that needs to keep making room for more, aren't you? Amen. Amen. And so you can come to eight. Another way you can serve is you can park off-site. Shortest mission trip you'll ever take is to our off-site parking, which is right by the fire department. If you're coming from the north, you literally have to drive by our off-site parking. There are two shuttle buses. One will pick you up, they will drop you off, and they will pick you up from church whenever you're ready to leave. Even if it's mid-service, you can get on a shuttle bus and it will take you right back to your car. So those are a couple of ways you can help us serve. But everybody needs to know the service times change August 7th. The service times will be 8 a.m., 9.30, 
and 11. And the reason for that is as the 8 o'clock service grows to make more room at 9, 30, and 11, we need a larger transition time in order to get cars in and out of the parking lot. So starting August 7th, this service will start 15 minutes later in order to have a larger 8 o'clock that can come in and go out. So if you want to keep showing up at 9, 15, that's fine. You can pick your seat when you show up, but the service isn't going to start until 9, 30. Does that make sense? If you agree, say amen. All right, and then two other announcements. Number one, if you are a lady in the room, raise your hand. The next announcement is just for you. Next Sunday, we have what's called our Gather event, and it's just our women's ministry. It's our first ever women's ministry event. It's going to be in the worship center from 5 to 7, dessert and coffee and worship and teaching. It's a time for you to dive deep into biblical community to meet other ladies. So mark your calendar. Guys, get ready to watch the kids and make sure your wife can be at Gather. And with that, I want you to give a rousing applause for Kelsey Lynn Taylor, our kids minister. She's going to tell us about VBS this week. Yes. Wow. We saw God move in such a mighty way this week, y'all. And let me tell you, VBS is so much more than numbers because if you were there or if you dropped off your kids, you, or if you heard the stories that they came home telling, it was such an experience for them. They got to hear God's word. They got to hear his truths, his gospel, and they learned throughout the week that they were created for a purpose, and that was to follow him um, and to live their life for him. And so I'm so excited to say that we had 211 leaders, volunteers that led during VBS. Y'all give that. That's a celebration. Because without our leaders, we could not have done anything. We could, have, we could have never done what we did last week without our leaders. We average about 350 kids every day in this building. <laughs> yes. It was so much fun. Rain, sunshine, all of that. We dealt with it, and it was so fun. Um, we had 24 professions of faith. Kids, yes, y'all, let's celebrate that. That is kids going from death to life that they made the decision to follow Jesus and now we get to walk alongside of them and their families and help them grow um, and be discipled. And that is so exciting. And just another part of VBS is that we have a big heart for missions during VBS. And so we ask the kids to give offerings for Kenya, which is the trip that we take every year. You guys, we just got back from it a few weeks ago, but they raised $2,477 last week week for Kenya. It was an incredible week, y'all, and I want y'all just to see just a taste of what it looked like last week, just so turn your attention to the screen. It's Nolansville BBS. Let's go! What are you most excited about for BBS this week? Kids to know Christ as personal Savior. Knox, what are you most excited for about VBS this week? About more people wanting about God.
rock on. All right, grab your Bible, open to Ephesians chapter 5. We are in a new series called Marriage Blueprint. And we are looking at God's word for a understanding of how the creator has designed his creation to flourish. And those of us who are married, we know that there's quite often more that we can be doing or more that we should be doing in our marriages. And we feel sometimes the gap between where we want to be and where we know we need to be. And we know that there's more thriving that's available. And so in this series, we're saying, let's learn from the creator through his word, what it means for our marriages to thrive. What is the blueprint? And last week we laid the foundation of the blueprint in our sermon. Go check it out if you missed last week, but we kicked off our sermon series by establishing the fact that marriage is a covenant where two become one flesh not a contract. If you missed that sermon, go listen. And the big idea outside of marriage being a covenant last week is we said, we don't look for the right person. That is always a failed formula. No, no, no. The answer is we become the right person. By God's grace, I embrace my responsibilities, not my rights, but my responsibility in the marriage to hold up my end of the covenant. And I know that God spoke to so many of you last week. Glad you came back. And everything that we're talking about as a marriage blueprint, I realize is countercultural. I get it. The wisdom that we get from God's word is not the wisdom we get from anywhere else. But the reality is, the creator knows how his creation was built to flourish. And the creator's wisdom is only found in his word. And the reality is, if there's a better blueprint than the creator's, if culture really has the market on the blueprint for marriage, then why are so many people so dissatisfied and so desperate for something more? We need God's blueprint. The creator knows how his creation was built to flourish. So we're just we're going to look at his word. We're going to learn from him. And as a church, we're committed to follow him. And so, Lord, I pray that we would find your plan and your way for marriage to be our way. And that we would follow you and that we would thrive. Would you restore? Would you heal marriages? Would you bring hope and healing? I pray for future marriages that will be established one day to be healthy and strong. And so, Lord, for the sake of the gospel, would you do a great work in Jesus' name? And everybody said, amen. Amen. Now we're going to begin in Ephesians chapter 5. We're going to look at verses 18 through 29, and it'll be on the screen. I'm going to read it all together, and I know I say this all the time, but I really do encourage you to bring a copy of God's Word I want you to have a Bible. I want you to look at it. I want you to be able to take notes, write something down. I know I say bring a Bible every week, but when you start doing it, I'll stop saying it. Amen? All right. Verse 18. And don't, the Bible says, get drunk with wine, which leads to reckless living. But 
be filled by the Spirit, speaking to one another in psalms, hymns, and spiritual songs, singing and making music with your heart to the Lord. Give thanks always for everything to God the Father in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. Underline verse 21, submitting to one another in the fear of Christ. This is the banner over everything that Paul says next to husbands and wives. Verse 22. Wives, submit to your husbands as to the Lord, because the husband is the head of the wife, as Christ is the head of the church. He is the Savior of the body. Now, as the church submits to Christ, so also wives are to submit to their husbands in everything. Husbands, love your wives, just as Christ loved the church and gave himself for her, to make her holy, cleansing her with the washing of water by the word. He did this to present the church to himself in splendor, without spot or wrinkle or anything like that, but holy and blameless. Verse 28, in the same way, husbands are to love their wives as their own bodies. He who loves his wife loves himself, for no one ever hates his own flesh, provides and cares for it just as Christ does so for the church. What the Apostle Paul just wrote was absolutely countercultural to a first century audience. That's the first people to read that, first century Christians. And in first century world, there was no record outside of the Bible that describes how this marriage was supposed to function like this. There's no written record outside of the Bible about men loving and treating their wives like this. And there's no framework for a marriage outside of the Bible in historical writing. And so if it seems different to you, imagine how it felt to the original audience. But this is God's blueprint. And as we look at it, you need to know there are three verses dedicated to those of you who are women and wives, and six verses dedicated to the men. And initially, initially, I was going to address this a little differently. I was going to speak to the wives one week, and then I was going to speak to the husbands next week. But I've changed my mind because what I didn't want today was a sermon on wives and all you guys, you knuckleheads going home, going, see, if you'll do your part, I'll do mine. And the next week, the wives coming back going, see, I told you you were going to lead us and you're supposed to be leading us. But today we're going to make it one conversation. So God help our souls. Amen. All right. But to have a healthy conversation, you need to know that this entire passage of Scripture details the household code, if you keep reading. Paul spells out how wives and husbands function, children and parents, employees and employers, and he's writing a design for the entire family. And if you look back at verses 18 through 20, what you'll find is really the banner that fits over everything that we're going to talk about here. And if you look back... He says, one, don't get drunk with wine, which leads to reckless living, but be filled by the Spirit. And if you've been around the church for a while, we've looked at this verse before, and filled by the Spirit means influenced by, led by, controlled by. So the major influence in your life is the Spirit of God that indwells your life. So you're led, guided by God himself through the Spirit. That's number one, be filled with the Spirit. Number two, submitting to one another. So there is a mutual submission that goes over the entire household code of husbands, wives, children's parents, employees, employers. That is over all of it, filled with the Spirit and a mutual submission. So as we talk today about husbands and wife, you need to know that that banner floats over all of it. 
Husbands and wives, those are two that become one flesh, both filled with the Spirit of God, led by the Spirit of God, and then engaging in a mutual submission as they fulfill their unique roles. Husbands, as we'll see today, you're supposed to model how Jesus loves and serves the church. And wives, you model how the church honors and serves Jesus. Husbands are called to a specific role. Wives are called to a specific role. And the combination is a glorious, fulfilling, and enduring relationship to the glory of Christ. And as we continue, I want to lay out one more statement just to make sure as we read this, everybody understands what God's perspective is as it relates to men and women, husbands and wives. Number one, men and women have equal dignity, value, and worth, but have different roles in marriage. This is God's design. We are equal in terms of dignity, value, and worth, But in God's design, we have different roles in marriage. And so with that, we're just going to walk through the flow of the text, and we're going to look at God's design and blueprint for marriage. And he starts with the wives in verse 22, and he says this, Wives, submit to your husbands as to the Lord, because the husband is the head of the wife, as Christ is the head of the church. He is the Savior of the body. Now as the church submits to Christ, so also wives are to submit to their husbands in everything. And ladies, you need to know that you represent the prize for which King Jesus gave his life for. And so being a woman is so much more than just biology. It's about the glory of Jesus Christ and his church in your lives. And so as we talk about submission today, what it does mean, what it doesn't mean, you need to know that God intends for you to thrive And men, you need to know, as you read and follow Jesus, Jesus never forced anyone to follow him. You're not going to read Jesus walking through the Bible, walking up to people and saying, you're going to follow me and you're going to like it. So men, do not quote this text to your wife. If you have to quote it, you're not doing what you're supposed to be doing. Now you may want to open your Bible and leave it on the coffee table and walk out, but don't quote it. Just joking. Don't do that either. But here's a definition that one author gave of submission that I think is spot on. Here's his definition. He says this, submission is a divine calling. This is God's blueprint. This is God's idea, divine calling of a wife to honor and affirm her husband's leadership and help him carry it through according to her gifts. It's a disposition of the heart, ladies, that says, I want to love and serve Jesus as I honor and serve my husband, just like the church honors and serves Jesus. It's a disposition of the heart. I want God's design in my life. And so as we talk about what this looks like, specifically, theologically, and practically, sometimes it's easier to understand what it means by looking at what it doesn't mean. So let's start with what it doesn't mean. Number one, Submission does not mean that husbands are the ultimate authority. Men, I am not perfect and neither are you. Jesus is perfect. My wife, Kim, speaks into every decision that we make. It takes two yeses in my house to make a yes and one no to make a no. And there have been many times 
where I feel like, man, the Lord is really leading me in a decision and I feel like this is the best course of action and I am patient until God also speaks to my wife. Because the two have become one flesh. There have been a handful of times in 24 years of marriage where I have felt strongly about a decision. And Kim has not heard from the Lord, but she didn't hear no. And she said, I'm going to trust and follow you. But the vast majority of the time, the overwhelming majority, it is two yeses to make a yes and one no to make a no. Quite often she will express concern, and because we are one, if she is hesitant or she disagrees, and I just press forward because I am the man, that is an example of weak leadership. You are not the ultimate authority. Jesus is. And many times, listen, God has gifted your wives in a unique way to complement your gifts, and they're going to see things you don't. They have discernment that you need, and they're going to be some of the best counsel you will ever get. So submission does not mean that husbands are the ultimate authority. Number two, submission does not mean a wife has less intellectual potential. I wish that this could go without saying, but I want to make sure we're on the record. Men and women are equal in terms of dignity, value, and worth, yet have different roles in marriage. Nothing about God's creative order says men have more intellectual potential. That's not true, and it's definitely not true in my marriage. I study for hours when I'm earning my D-men to get a B. Kim can hold her notebook and get an A. It's just how we're built. She understands medicine and nutrition and finance. She just knows when the kids get hurt at my house and they come home, they don't run to me, they run to her. Because if they run to me, I'm like, rub a little dirt on it, eat some tacos and have Advil. You'll be fine. But man, Kim is just wise. And so we're created equal in the image of God. It's like left hand and right hand. Not better, not lesser. Left hand right hand. So submission does not mean that. And and lastly, submission does not mean that a wife must follow her husband into sin. That's not true. Ladies, your ultimate obedience is only to Jesus. And yes, you follow your husband's leadership unless he's leading you into sin. You only unconditionally follow Jesus. No husband is the ultimate authority. And I understand this could be a difficult task because sometimes you're not sure he has your best interest in mind and he might cause you to sin because you're going to kill him if he keeps it up. But you don't have to follow a husband into sin ever. Your obedience and loyalty is ultimately only to Jesus. And number two, you have a divine right to be safe. If you don't feel safe, you should immediately get help. We have counselors. We have help. Call the authorities. You are God's daughters, and you should be treated as such. Amen? So submission does not mean any of those things. However, submission does mean, number one, that your submission is ultimately to the Lord. You honoring your husband is ultimately honoring Jesus. And God the Creator knows how we were built to flourish. And so ultimately, your allegiance is to Jesus as you live out your role. So number two, you honor and serve the Lord by honoring and serving your husband. And the reason why, in God's design, His blueprint as He laid it out for the restoration of marriage 
is because in the curse of Eve, if you remember all the way back in Genesis 3, when sin entered the world and sin corrupted things, here's what God said your struggle, ladies, would be. The curse of Eve was that for the rest of humanity, you would try to rule over your husband. That's what he told Eve. And so as God restores the blueprint for marriage, what he tells ladies to do is say, honor and serve your husband as you honor and serve the Lord. And then you can disrupt what has been broken. Number three, Christian marriage shows the Trinity and the gospel. And this this is incredible. So part of your submission demonstrates the Trinity in practice on earth. And see, the Bible says inside the Trinity, we believe God is one yet three. Every member of the Trinity, God the Son, God the Father, God the Holy Spirit, are completely equal yet If you read, there's deference in the Trinity. Equality, yet different roles. Jesus says, hey, the Father sent me. Jesus says, hey, I only do what the Father tells me to do. But Jesus, yeah, but but you're God. I know, but I do what the Father asks me to do. Okay, Jesus, well, when are you coming back? Only the Father knows the time. Jesus is completely God, fully God, equally God, yet has a different role. And what's modeled in the Trinity, God models in the family. So that's where we get our understanding. Hey, kids aren't less than their parents, but they honor their parents. Wives are equal to their husbands, but they honor and serve. Christians aren't less than their pastor, but they submit to spiritual leadership. It works itself out throughout the entire Christian family. And so, ladies, your submission is ultimately to the Lord. And God always keeps his promises. God's design does lead to human flourishing. And I know that it can be tough. You have to fight against fear. You have to maintain a vibrant personal relationship with Jesus. you got to pray passionately for your husband. And I would say this, as you honor and serve him, you have to find ways to fuel and fan the flame of his passion for Jesus. Because the reality is men are created for war. And every man in this room in one way or another is at war. The problem is most of us are fighting the wrong battles. You're fighting the wrong wars. So, ladies, you got to figure out how your man is wired. And you've got to encourage him to dream big and speak life into him. Dream for our marriage. Dream for our family. Lead. Lead us to something greater. Hey, you're created for war. Go to war for us. And when we don't, because no man is perfect, don't fully live up to our end of the bargain. Instead of nagging, fan the flame of Jesus in your man's life. And if... You happen to be married to a man who refuses to lead in one way or another. Then your God-given right is to squeeze in there behind him. And yes, you encourage him. And yes, you serve. And yes, you honor. But if there's nothing, then don't allow your family to go by the wayside. The church is here for you. We have people. We have teams. And you gather those kids. And you gather yourself. And you pray. And you worship all the while praying that God will break his heart for him to fulfill his role. As you honor him and you honor the Lord. And we're here for you. As you thrive in God's calling on your life. And so those are the Three verses given to those of you who are ladies. But men, there are six verses given to you. So buckle up. We may not get out of here before the next service comes in.
headship is this. It is the divine calling, again, God's design for his creation of a husband to take the primary responsibility for Christ-like love, servant leadership, protection, and provision in the home. It's the best definition I've found. It is a divine calling of a man for male headship. And male headship, first and foremost, is a divine calling for you to love and serve your wife and your family, just like Christ loved the church. Let me ask you a question. Do you know how Christ loved the church, men? He loved the church by walking to his followers and taking off his outer garment, by picking up a bowl and a towel, and taking off the towel that was wrapped around his waist and going to his disciples and bending down on a knee and washing their feet. It was such a ridiculous act of service that when Jesus came to Peter, he refused. You, you can't serve me this way. It was radical, selfless sacrifice. So much so that every wound for the sin we deserve, he bore on his own body so that we could live. So headship is not a badge of honor to make you peacock around. It's an invitation to lay your life down for the people God has entrusted into your life. And so the issue, according to God's design, is not we as men. It's not if we as men are the head of the home and the leaders in our families. That's not the issue. The issue is, are we good at it? Do we love and serve like Jesus does? Do we love and lay our lives down for those that God has entrusted to us? That's the question. And men, your biggest command in the passage, look at it, verse 25, is to love your wives. Ladies, did you know that you are not commanded to love your husband? Did you know that? You're like, that's easy. You're not. Remember, your curse was that you would try to rule over the men. So that's why God spoke to you in a different way. But men's curse is that we either become lazy or domineering. So he says, no, no, no. I'm going to restore what it's supposed to look like. And I'm commanding you to love like my son loves. We love. And men, I don't know if you know this or not, but ladies love to be loved. Ladies, do you like to be loved? That was really horrible. I was really expecting like a rousing, like, yes, and then we would just pray and close the service. It was horrible. Golly. Women love to be loved. And if you don't know how to love your bride, you got to figure it out. You've got to figure it out. And if you've never, some of the best tools out there are written by, go to the next slide, Gary Chapman, Five Love Language. Show of hands, how many of y'all have ever seen this? This is amazing. And he says in this, just to remind you, love specifically, not generally. Love specifically, not generally, which means you have to pay attention. You have to ask your wife, what do I do that makes you feel loved? And what do I do that makes you feel unloved? That is your homework for today. On the way home, when you get home, hey, what do I do that makes you feel loved? What do I do that makes you feel unloved? And then shut up and write down what they say. Because the reality is most of us love and give love the way we like to receive love. 
And so my wife and I are very different. Our love languages are very different. And quite often I'm like, I'm trying to love you really well, but all I'm trying to do is give love the way I like to receive love. And it doesn't work because she doesn't receive love the way I like to receive love. So I have to understand her. And he says, there's a couple of different ones. He says, one is affection. Show of hands, how many of y'all are cuddlers? You're a cuddler? You like to snuggle? Some of y'all are snuggling right now. Get a room. But some people are like, wait, my marriage is falling apart and we're having a really bad time and it's really tough. I'm like, what's wrong? We haven't cuddled all week. It's because their love language isn't being met. The other one is quality time. This is one of my wives. Just be present. Just be with me. Talk with me. Spend time with me. And it's really hard because I like to solve problems. And most of the time she just wants to talk. She doesn't want me to solve her problems. She just wants me to what? Yes. So hard. And she'll go hang out with her friends. And she will come home and know everything about all of them. And I'll go hang out with my buddies and spend all day, and I'll come home. And she's like, how's David and how's the family? I'm like, fine, I guess. She's like, well, didn't they have a brand new baby and their oldest is in the hospital? I'm like, didn't come up. I don't know. (laughs) We don't talk. We just hang out. My wife wants quality time. Just, Just talk to me. Hang out with me. You have acts of service, gifts. And you guys, if your lady is a love language of gift, then figure out if it's little gifts, buy her a car. Maybe it's big gifts. Get her a house. (laughs) You know, Proverbs says that a wise woman builds a house. A wiser man buys her one. So you might figure that one out. You have words of affirmation. You have to know how your wife receives love. And like we said last week, You're called to your role even if they're not holding up their end of the deal. Husbands and wives, you're never going to thrive in an if-then relationship. If they'll start honoring and serving me, I'll start leading them. If they'll start leading me, I'll start honoring and It doesn't work. It's not about your rights. It's about your responsibility. You are held accountable to God for what you choose. And men, you need to know. I read this quote this week. I think it's phenomenal. It says, in the heart of every woman is a self-doubt. Am I the woman you want, the woman you need? And a wise husband will know that that question exists and then spend the rest of his life answering in a thousand different ways. Yes, I only want you. And yes, I cherish every moment with you. End quote. So men, you got to love your wives. It's what God calls you to. Let me give you two practical ways, in addition to knowing their love language, that you need to love them well. Number one, you can love her by leading out in reconciliation. Stop trying to win every argument and just lead out. Reconciliation is the goal, not being right, not winning. And this, the reason why I bring it up is because this one's primarily for me. I like to win everything that I do. When I would wrestle with my kids, she'd be like, you're being rough. I'm like, they can win when they can win. So I like to be right. And even this week, we were sitting in bed, and I was frustrated about something, and I thought, I'm preaching on marriage this week. Let me lead out in reconciliation. Instead, I just said everything I was mad about, why she was wrong. I had to text her later that day. I was like, I was a jerk. I'm sorry. I was just trying to be right. 
You lead out in reconciliation in the same way Jesus does with us. Because when I sin, it's not Jesus' fault. And when I sin, Jesus didn't make me do it, and it's not his fault. But Jesus comes quickly to me in my time of need. And so fault is never the issue. Responsibility is. And reconciliation in your home is your responsibility for the beauty of your wife and for the beauty of your family. If you want to have the mantle of headship in your home, it comes with leading out and loving her by taking the responsibility for reconciliation. And not only that, the second one is you love her by leading out spiritually. This is what verse 26 means when Paul said this. Paul said that he, the husband, might sanctify her, his bride, having cleansed her by the washing of water with the word of God. He's talking about the way you lead spiritually in your home. So a godly man is going to learn, is going to grow, is going to develop and understand the will of God for his life and his family based on the word of God. So you have to be in the word of God, growing through the word of God to understand the will of God. And we are committed here at this church to several things, but one of them is cultivating a culture of godly men. The type of men that Hebrews would describe, men of whom the world is not worthy. And I would say this, guys, listen to me. There are a lot of issues and ills in our country and in the world today, but most of them are not specifically related to a particular political agenda or policy, although I agree with many of them. They're directly related to a lack of godly men who are not leading. But at the church at Knowlesville, we're going to raise up some godly dudes. They want to be men and lead their families and lead their homes and gather them together and say, this is the word of God. Let's read it. Let's worship. Let's pray. Let's serve. Let's be sacrificial. And you take the lead. And men, you are not alone in this. I did not grow up in a Christian home. I did not grow up with discipleship and mentoring, and I'm still stumbling forward. But I put godly men around me that encourage me and help lead me as I lead others. And I can't go back and erase the mistakes that I've made. I wish I could. I can only be the man God has called me to today and in the future. The same is true for you. And we have three classes a week that meet here, men's ministry. We have other ways for you to learn and develop. Get involved. I didn't grow up with a Christian dad. He came to the Lord later in life and was a great grandpa. But the reality is in our world, very few, very few even have a dad. Even fewer have a Christian dad. And then there's a small minority that have a Christian dad that's doing everything he can every day to follow Jesus and lead his family. And your family didn't choose who their leader was going to be, but you can choose the leader you're becoming. And you cannot undo yesterday, but you can start tomorrow. You can do today. And my knees are bloody, and I have fallen down, and I have stumbled 
And Kim and I, every year, work tirelessly on these things because marriage takes work. We've been married 24 years, August 1st. I know, we were married when we were 10, so it looks like. <laughs> Let me tell you something. I tell you all this all the time. Why do you keep telling some of these stories? Because I don't want you to think you're alone. There were three years of our marriage that the only thing that kept us together was the fact that we said we weren't quitting. I wasn't being the best husband. She wasn't being the best wife. But we were committed to something better. And we're like five years on, six years on the backside of those three years. And I'm so glad we didn't give up. So some of you right now are walking through valleys. I'm so sorry, and it hurts, and it's painful, and I know very acutely what it's like to put your head on your pillow and go, is this going to be the rest of my life? I will say to you that it's worth digging in. It is worth every ounce that you'll take. And it's not as soon as they be different. Just start being different yourself. Because that was the key for me and Kim. One of us just said, I'm going to stand right here and I'm not going to leave. And when you're ready, at some point you're going to bounce over here and I'm going to grab onto you and not let go. It just takes one person being committed to something different. It takes one person standing there and saying, for God's glory and for God, by God's grace, we're going to make it. And this church and me as your pastor and our team will give you every ounce of resource we have because we're committed to families and we're committed to marriages. And I know some of you perhaps are on your second, your third, your fourth. Welcome home. In the same way I cannot undo the mistakes that I've made or the wounds that have been given to me or the wounds I gave away, I can only do what I'm doing today and tomorrow, and the same is true for you. Like we said last week, there's a reason why there's a song called Amazing Grace that has been in the church for years. It's because God's grace is amazing. So how about today? Walk in the mercies and grace that's new. The creator knows how his creation was built to flourish. We are here for you. We are with you. And I believe in your family and in our church, the best is yet to come. So Lord, today, would you work miracles? And would you provide hope and healing? Would you help us to walk in the fullness of our roles? Would you help us, Lord, to be everything that you've called us to be with your grace, with your mercy and your power. In Jesus' name, amen.